Blessed are you, O God, for creating this world and this universe by the word of your power. Blessed are you for undertaking a plan of redemption when human beings fell into grave mutiny against you. Blessed are you for the future plan of the new heavens and new earth which we await with eager anticipation that we know will come to pass because your word is true. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell with us in the interim as we await, who guides us into all righteousness, who leads us away from unrighteousness. We give you praise, Lord, that your plan starts at A and goes straight through to Z. And Father, this morning as we open your word once again, we are praying for your power. We are praying for your ministry to be done here this morning. And that, Lord, you would rivet our minds and our hearts to your word, that you would change us through this time of preaching, transform us further into the image of your Son, renew our minds, dear God, and give us hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this past uh, Tuesday night, April and Autumn and I were sitting uh, together in our front room, and we were somewhat tired from the day's events flipping channels when we came across the movie Rocky II. It was playing on TSN. Maybe some of you caught it. Now, it was about a half an hour into the movie uh, when we started watching. I had seen it before, but April and Autumn had not seen the movie. And, of course, the whole movie builds toward that final climactic fight scene where, just as it had happened in the first Rocky movie, the underdog, Rocky, takes on Apollo Creed, who is the heavyweight champion of the world. And, of course, the question is, who will win this time? Rocky had lost the fight in the first movie, which made it such a great movie that he lost. No Hollywood ending. I thought it was very realistic. But in Rocky II, who will win this time? Now, as I said, I'd already seen the movie, and spoiler alert, I knew that Rocky would win this time. But you see, April and Autumn didn't know that. And so as the fight progressed, and they watched, and they saw Rocky getting inundated with Apollo's punches for the first several rounds, they kept saying to the TV screen, come on, come on, Rocky. They really wanted him to win. They just weren't sure what the outcome would be because they hadn't seen the movie. So it was high drama in our living room on Tuesday night. Friends, there's something about watching a movie the second time. Having seen the movie years ago, knowing that Rocky would win, this time I have to say I was more relaxed as I watched the fight Progress. Even though things really didn't look good, if you've seen the movie, things don't look good for Rocky during most of the fight. Uh, because I'd already seen it, I knew that he would end up pulling out the win. It is such a gigantic consolation for us as believers to know the end of the story of this world in which we live. That God is going to win his great and final victory in the end. 
to know that God is moving every single thing in the universe right now toward his great goal. That is a massive comfort. Are you with me this morning? Having that knowledge allows us to remain calm, doesn't it? Despite the present sin sickness of this world. On days where we look around and we see unsettling world event after unsettling world event, on days when human evil seems to have sort of risen to an unmatched peak, in those times when so many things in this life feel all disconnected and incoherent, thank God that we know the sure and settled end of the story. Thank God that he has revealed to us the ultimate future of all things. Did you know that? Praise God that he remains in control of humanity and in control of the rest of creation and in control of history. Thank God that he tells us that every single thing we experience in this life, every single thing that we see in this life fits into a narrative that is bigger than us. The biblical text that we're considering this morning is a text that has always taken my breath away. It's a text that takes us into the realm of ultimate things. What Martin Lloyd-Jones once called God's grand, comprehensive, final, ultimate purpose. Now, we can talk about a lot of high and lofty things in this life, but there is nothing higher for us to talk about than God's grand, comprehensive, final, ultimate purpose. And that's just what we want to spend our time with this morning. Our text is Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. I hope you have a Bible open. Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. But those two verses are part of a larger section of the first chapter. The larger section is verse 3 right down through verse 14. Verses 3 through 14 are Paul's barakah section of this letter. His blessed be section that happens right near the start of the letter. And believe it or not, in the original Greek, verses 3 through 14, get this, are one single long sentence. A 202-word sentence in the original Greek that is just a splendid river of praise and worship. 202-word sentence. I don't think Paul spent time with... Miss Jones in primary school to learn about run-on sentences. Well, we're going to give our full attention to verses 9 and 10, of course, but just so that we can hear some of the surrounding context, let's begin reading at verse 7. I know that Robert already read the text, but I want to read it again. Paul writes, In him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, release from our trespasses according to the riches of his 
grace, according to God's treasure box, unending of grace, which he showered, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. May God add blessing once again to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now in verse 9, Paul states that God in his divine wisdom and insight has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose with which he set forth in Christ. The mystery of his will has been made known to us. Now in Western culture in 2018, when we hear that word mystery, some of us, especially if we're old enough, may automatically think of that show, Unsolved Mysteries. Remember with that guy that used to talk like that? Unsolved Mysteries. It was a show where unsolved crimes were presented to viewers in the hope that some viewer somewhere may know something about the unsolved crime and then come forward with information. In other words, some of us might define mystery as something spooky, a spooky sort of a thing. We might attach to the word mystery a puzzling crime that has never been solved or some puzzling occurrence that has never been fully explained. That's how we might understand mystery. Or some others of us might define the word mystery as something that is inherently impossible to understand, something that is utterly incomprehensible despite our best efforts. Well, I want to tell you that none of those sorts of definitions apply here when we look at this word mystery in Ephesians 1.9. When the Apostle Paul uses this word here in this verse, he means this. Mystery, as Paul uses it, is something that God had previously hidden that God has now revealed. Again, mystery in biblical speak is something that God had previously hidden that God has now revealed. Mystery for Paul is something that human beings on their own and with their own unaided reasoning powers cannot discover. But with God's help, they are enabled to discover. It takes God to draw back the curtains, as it were, to reveal or to disclose his own private plan or his private counsel, his secret. And Paul says in our text that God has done this. God has made known to us, it gets personal, to us what God previously had kept behind the curtains. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And what is, our question is, what is the precise content? What is the content 
of the mystery that God has made known. Well, Paul spells out the content of the mystery. He tells us what had been behind God's curtain. Now in verse 10. I want you to focus on verse 10 with me. And with, with verse 10, I want you to use your mental powers with me a little bit because there are some somewhat tricky things for us here to wade, to wade through together. Now, as many of you know, I preach regularly from the English Standard Version of Scripture, or the ESV for short. Near the start of Ephesians 1.10 in the ESV, you see that word there, plan. I want you to focus on that word, as a plan for the fullness of time. And there are other English Bibles, for example, the Good News Bible, if you have that in front of you, and the New Living Translation, just two examples. They also translate the Greek here in verse 10 with the word plan. Now that is certainly a possible rendering of the original Greek into English, but what we see in other, still other English Bibles is that they've decided to render the Greek a little differently here. For example, and if we could go forward on the slide there, in the NIV, you have the phrase, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Or the King James has the word dispensation. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. That's how it reads in the King James. Are you confused yet? Hang on to your hats. Having looked at this issue a little bit over the years, having weighed the various possibilities for translation from the Greek, I personally tend toward the side of versions like the New American Standard Bible and or the English, the New English Translation or Net Bible both of those Bibles have the word administration here. So in the New American Standard, Ephesians 1.10 reads, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. In point of fact, the Greek word in question here, the word oikonomia, does have to do with administration. In fact, it has to do with Listen, household management, household management. The same Greek word is used three times over in Luke chapter 16, verses 2 through 4, and each time the English Standard Version renders it there with the word management, as Jesus tells the parable of the dishonest Manager. So the upshot is the word, I think, has to do with administration or with household management or with the job of a household manager. I want to argue that what Paul is talking about at the start of Ephesians 1.10 is Christ, who he's just mentioned at the tail end of verse 9. Paul is talking about Christ here at the beginning of verse 10, Christ who comes to act as household manager or administrator for the fullness of the times. Now, one of the things I did on my summer, summer break is I tackled a number of projects that needed doing around our house, things that had been neglected, things that were overdue for some attention, like scraping old 
cracked silicone off three windows on the outside of our house and replacing that silicone with some new stuff. Uh, it was just a joy to be out there in the blazing sun for hours doing that. I also did a thorough clean of our gutters, which needed to be done. I painted an inside door, those kinds of things. We also organized several shelves. We cleaned up our yard a little more because it needed it. Household management. Organizing, fixing, rebuilding, gathering, throwing out, cleaning up. In our passage, Paul is saying that the mystery that God has revealed involves Christ coming to act in a household management role or an administration role. The idea here is that God's universe, God's cosmic household, had fallen into disarray. It needed repair. There was disorder in God's cosmic household. It needed to be put back into order or restored, and Jesus Christ was sent to administrate that task. And what we notice in verse 10 is that Paul uses this phrase, the fullness of time, or the fullness of the times. Jesus engages in this household management in the fullness of the times. Well, what were the very first words, the very first words that came out of the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark? As his ministry began... Mark 1.15 has Jesus proclaiming in Galilee, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Notice that the time is fulfilled. And in our passage, Paul says that Jesus came in the role of household management in the fullness of the times. The point is, that the first coming of Jesus Christ into the world was the beginning or the inauguration of his household management. The incarnation back in the first century was the beginning of his putting back into order what had been damaged, what had been thrown into disarray by the fall of humankind into sin. In Galatians 4.4, Paul says... That when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, into our world. And he's talking there in Galatians about the moment of the incarnation. The moment when Christ appeared in the flesh on the earth. And again, our passage in Ephesians 1.10, Paul says that Christ's household management was meant for the fullness of of the times. Again, our point, friends, God's mystery, God's plan that He has drawn back the curtain on is the coming into the world of the household manager, Jesus Christ, who comes to order to put right what had been warped, what had been disintegrated because of the sin of humankind. And that ordering. That household management began at the first coming of Jesus Christ when we see him walking around healing people, reordering their cells and their organs. 
when he came proclaiming the inbreaking of the kingdom. The ordering or restoration of God's universe is going to consummate, isn't it? It's going to be brought to completion at his second coming in glory. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Ephesians 1.10 gets even more breathtaking and full of glory. So far, we've tracked with Paul through 1.9 and the first part of 1.10. Paul has talked about the mystery, the divine counsel that had been hidden but that now has been revealed so that it is comprehensible by human beings. And the content of the mystery so far in verse 10 is this household management of Jesus Christ in the fullness of the times. Watch now where Paul goes. He now uses the intriguing Greek word, anakephalao, Anakephalia'o, which in our English versions is translated as something like to unite or to gather together or to sum up. Paul says, listen, friends, listen. Do you believe the Bible? Paul says that all things, How many things? Is anything left out? All things. And in case we didn't get it, he says, things in heaven and things on earth. All things everywhere in God's eternal plan are to be united, to be summed up, to be gathered together, cohered. In him, that is, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is how Christ's household management works itself out. In the summing up, the uniting, the gathering together, the coherence of all things. Now, I told you at the beginning this morning that we are talking about ultimate things this morning, right? God's grand, comprehensive, final, ultimate purpose. You can't get any more grand or ultimate than this part of Ephesians 1.10. God's eternal plan is that all things everywhere would be gathered up, summed up, brought to a unity in the person of Jesus Christ his son. Now that interesting word we mentioned in this part of the verse, the Greek word anakephalia'o, which the ESV has translated here as to unite, literally the meaning of this word is to bring something to a main point, to sum up. Again, to bring something to a main point, to sum up. And what is summed up in Jesus Christ is nothing less than the cosmos. All things. Now, friends, we strain, don't we, to grasp the sheer enormity of this. We're on holy ground here again. What are these verses? What are Ephesians 1 9 and 10? 
they are the end of the movie that you and I are acting in right now. These verses give us the end of the cosmic movie so that we know how the movie will end. I can't stress it enough. Everything. Every thing, whether it be the love you have for a family member or whether it be your passion for missions or whether it be a community of lowland gorillas in the Republic of Congo or whether it be something sad like a broken marriage or a mental disease or something Bad, like a totalitarian government, or war, or a murder. Everything is moving right now to an ordered, coherent, God-glorifying, good, perfect summary that has Jesus Christ as its focal point. The end of the cosmic movie is that Jesus, the household manager, will finish the harmonizing and the restoration and the liberation of the house, of the universe that was begun in his first coming and especially in his cross and in his resurrection. How wide is the work of Jesus Christ? Is it simply and only about personal salvation? No. It's about restoring the cosmos. According to Ephesians 1.10, every element of the cosmos, whether it be happy or sad, whether it be integrated or fragmented, whether it be relatively straight or badly warped, Every element of God's cosmos, all things, things in heaven and things on earth, is being gathered together, ordered, summed up, harmonized in Jesus, who is both the means and the focal point of the harmony. He is both the means and the focal point of the harmony. Friends, Ephesians 1.10, if you're looking for the end of the movie, you've got it there. Spoiler alert. And so today, when we see a fresh war break out somewhere on the globe, when we see super weapons being developed over in Russia, when we hear about more tons and tons of waste being dumped into the ocean, when somebody breaks into our home and steals our stuff, when somebody we love gets cancer, we can remain calm. We know the sure and certain end of the movie, and it is a breathtakingly glorious end. Nothing, I want you to listen carefully as you watch the news and get on social media, nothing that human beings can do or plan or execute or dream up or fashion Nothing can ever make the slightest difference to the plan of God that is revealed to us in these verses. 
Nothing that Satan and his powers can plan or do or fashion or execute can ever make the slightest difference to God's sure and certain plan. In Jesus Christ, God has begun his household management, his gathering together and summing up all things in the universe, and God is going to complete that task no matter what. We have that blessed assurance. Now, as a way to close this off today, I want to leave you with yet one more exalted thought. (laughs) We've had a few this morning already, but the question is this. And I was glad to see that Robert in his prayer already alluded to this. He already preached this in his prayer. It was great. The question is, what is your view of the church of Jesus Christ? Do you have a high view of the church and its place in God's great design? Or do you have a lower view? Or maybe you don't have much of a view at all. What's fascinating in the letter of Ephesians is that in the very next chapter, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, Paul begins a section on the nature of the church. That's you and me. How the church of Jesus Christ is one new humanity that Jesus has brought together believing Jews with believing Gentiles. He's brought this thing together so that it is a new, unified humanity. The idea is that the bringing to a unity of the cosmos that was mentioned in Ephesians 1.10, the summing up of the cosmos that was mentioned in that verse, has already begun in the church where Jews and Gentiles have been brought together by God into a unity. So that the church, listen, the church becomes a sign to the watching world. A display case of sorts of what God's intentions are for the entire cosmos. No wonder Paul will spend three entire chapters, Ephesians 4 through Ephesians 6, giving instructions to the church on how to live in front of a watching world. You and I, the church, are God's pilot project. Do do you see yourself that way, church people? We are God's pilot project, his display case That is to show forth the reconciliation, the restoration, the unity that he is bringing to completion in the entire cosmos. What a high and exalted view of the church Paul gives us here in Ephesians. May we ever be prayerful. May we be a people who seek the face of the Lord so that we reverently, wisely model the plan of God that he is undertaking in the whole cosmos. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are reminded by your word this morning that this thing is so much bigger than us. 
and yet you have made us a part of it. It is amazing, Lord. We praise you and thank you that your word is true, that the end of the movie is sure and certain, that nothing can throw that ending off track. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our friend, our master, our shepherd, the one we love, that all things will be united and brought to harmony and restoration. We thank you that we will live eternally with him on a new heavens and in a new earth, Lord. We praise you and may this word bring hope to us this morning as we go later this week into uh, tasks that some of us feel are difficult or mundane. Help us, Lord, bring this word to our remembrance that our labor is not in vain, that every single thing is working toward your great purpose and plan. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.